kick things off. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you for joining us today at the New York State Health Foundation. Um, this is actually our first event of the year, so we're really excited to kick it off talking about veterans' issues upstate. Um, as many of you know, New York State Health has made it a priority to invest in improving the health of veterans throughout New York State uh, for over a decade now. And since we are a statewide foundation, uh, and more than two-thirds of the veterans live outside of New York City, it's really important for us to know what's happening uh, in upstate, what are the issues uh, that are facing veterans so we can find out how best to invest in them. Uh, and something that's really important to us is making sure that we're not talking about populations, we like to talk with populations. So without further ado, let's uh, chat with two amazing upstate vets. Uh, we have with us today uh, Andrea Goldstein and Roger Misso, hosts of the Two Vets Upstate podcast. Thank you both for joining us today. Uh, so last summer, I was at the Grand Makers and Health Conference in Chicago, and I was on Twitter and I saw uh, the Warax tweet about being on the show, hashtag two vets upstate. And I thought, oh, that's totally up my alley. I should look into that. Uh, so I downloaded a few episodes, went to the gym, didn't know what to expect. I was like, it's going to be like vets with like beards talking about coffee and guns. Or I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Uh, and I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> um, so the goal of the, thank you so much. The goal of the uh, podcast to amplify vet voices, address vet issues, and issues affecting veterans. So to kick things off, Andrea, can you tell us a little bit more about the Two Vets Upstate podcast? Absolutely. So um, Roger and I had been going back and forth talking about challenges that we were understanding, that we understood veterans in upstate New York were facing. And we should probably talk about where does upstate New York begin. Nobody Very really knows. <laughs> we actually talked about this on the episode, uh, or on one of our episodes. We ultimately concluded that if you look at the 2018 election, the New York State Attorney General's race, pretty much anywhere that voted for Zephyr Teachout, with some exception, will qualify as upstate New York. Because then there are other divisions of the North Country and Central New York and Western New York. And um, so Roger lives close to Syracuse. I live in Columbia County, about 30 miles south of Albany. And we recognized that the way that information was shared for resources that would be of value to veterans was, um, frankly, insufficient um, outside of the Tri-State area. So it's great here in New York City um, and on Long Island, but once you get north of Poughkeepsie, it's there are a lot of challenges. So we decided to... Um, use our platform, our social media following to talk about what we cared about and spread the word. So uh, the vet space, I'm sure you all know, is like incredibly small. It's like everyone kind of knows everyone, like one Twitter follower away from everyone. <laughs> um, so I actually knew Andrea from your uh, Anna Granville days. Oh, wow. So, uh, <laughs> old school here. Yeah, so that goes a little bit. So I definitely want to hear more about your background and then Roger as well, and uh, in particular how you two met. So actually talking about Anna Granville is a great seat to that. So I started writing and publishing under a pseudonym, Anna Granville, back in 2014. Um, I was on deployment in Bahrain, serving with a special operations unit, which was why I was writing under a pseudonym. Um, the military, and I think the Navy in particular, um, is, is, a, is, a, is fairly encouraging or at least... Um, not discouraging of uh, reading, writing, thinking 
um, you know, out loud, so to speak. Um, and so I started writing for Task and Purpose under the pseudonym in 2014. And in 2015, when I wanted to do literally anything but study for the GREs, um, I wrote an article called Four Reasons I'm Resigning My Commission as a Naval Officer. Um, and I was shocked when it went viral. Uh, and Roger found it. So do you want to tell the rest of the story there? I did. And I was um, also a writer uh, at the time. And um, I saw it sort of go viral. And I it, the what she wrote resonated with me. But I wanted to provide sort of the opposite side of the issue. So I reached out to her uh, pseudonym's Gmail and said, hey, I like your article. Do you mind if I write a response to it? And she said pseudonymously, uh, yeah, that's fine. So uh, I wrote it, and it didn't go as viral, but it was a, a sort of a defense of, you know, why uh, good young people should stay uh, in that in military service. So and the irony is not lost on the fact that uh, <laughs> someone is now getting out of the Navy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's important, one, just because it's funny. But two, uh, <laughs> more importantly, um, the idea of transitioning. So uh, we were just chatting about this. Like New York State, just demographically, geographically, it's just all over the place. I think in a good way. So you have people from all over uh, the country, the world, you name it. Um, I, I consider myself a New York State veteran now. I grew up in Texas, um, and I came here. And like this was during my transition. I came here to go to grad school. So I'm interested to hear about both your transitions, uh, kind of what worked, what didn't, and then in particular, uh, why New York State to transition back to. So um, I left active duty in 2016. Um, I knew that I wanted to go to graduate school full-time, and um, I had kind of exhausted what I wanted to do on active duty. So I applied to graduate school like, the year before that. I knew I got into where I ultimately ended up going, the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts, which is in Boston. Um, I got in fall of 2015. Spring of 2016, uh, left active duty, took a couple of months to travel, um, and then went to graduate school. Um, but, I mean, I'm a daughter of New York State. I actually grew up here in the city. Um, and then um, some family moved to upstate New York when I was in college, and I really fell in love with it. Um, uh, my dad's from Buffalo. My dad's here today, by the way. So um, always had um, kind of a pull um, to other parts of the state. Um, I, I always wanted to come home. I mean, it was, it was really that simple. Um, it was always very, I, I've lived, I think I've moved 30 times since I was 18 years old. Um, and it just, there was just always a pull back here. Um, and they're incredible. And they're, and they're just so, they're such great resources for veterans here. Whether you're going into higher education to continue your education or look for employment um, it's just a great place to be. Three more. Roger. Yeah, so I'm going through now, so I will let you know <laughs> a few weeks when the transition is uh, complete. Although I don't know if it's ever complete, we'll both be uh, reservists. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Which is a nice little tether uh, to have. But yeah, uh, I'm sure you're just seeing it in its own right. I feel like just getting out of the kind of culture, if you will, as opposed to like easing into it. How does that, does it help? Does it hurt? I mean, obviously, I have nothing to compare it to, but how has that been? Yeah, it's nice to know that it's still sort of there, even though I know that it's mostly uh, administrative uh, purgatory, if you will. <laughs> um, but I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but 
you know, I grew up in a very rural part of upstate New York, a town called Red Creek. It's in Wayne County. I grew up on the Wayne Cave County line. And no, nobody really knows where it's from. So you know, the standard thing you do from, you know, when you're in the military or out someplace else and someone asks you, oh, where are you from? You say, I'm from New York. I say, oh, okay, yeah, where? And I go, okay, here we go. Um, I'm from Red Creek. Do you know where that is? No. Okay. Um, from Central New York. Do you know where that is? I mean, like Central New York City? <laughs> no. Okay. I'm basically from the middle of the, of the big state. So um, we're pretty, getting pretty good at uh, having that conversation with people. But um, chose to move back to Syracuse um, and, and start a legacy there with my family because um, there's good to be done. You know, there's, there's good to be done everywhere, I feel like, but especially in our smaller cities and our rural areas. Um, it's one of the reasons we started the podcast is that people need folks who are going to show up, who are going to be active in the community and help uh, people come back maybe to the places where they grew up. Um, recent news is that New York State loses more uh, people than it brings in, and that's mostly people from upstate. That's not really news to anybody who grew up there, but um, it doesn't have to really be that way. Um, there are a lot of really excellent things about upstate New York that aren't any different than uh, Silicon Valley or maybe New York City, aside from living in a big city or, uh, you know, or Silicon Valley snow, I guess. And if snow is the reason why you're moving, uh, then you're really missing out on something great upstate New York. So, so um, in, in kind of one of the things that you, you wrote about, kind of the goals of the, the podcast, is to focus on vet issues, but then also issues that face vets. I know that's like a semantics kind of challenge there, but I think it's an important uh, important difference. So the idea being, uh, you know, the choice program or legislation, that's a veteran issue, veteran vets, veteran issue. Uh, but something like the government shutdown, that's not a veteran issue. That's greatly impacting veterans. I think the latest OPM uh, numbers uh, have vets about a third of the federal workforce. So when the federal government shuts down, that has now become a veteran issue. Uh, Andrew, you mentioned on an episode that uh, you're on this nonpartisan advisory council for your district. Um, and, and that's, so I want to focus first on the pet issues and then issues uh, affect vets. Um, can you tell us about that advisory council and then what you're hearing, what issues are coming up, and then possible solutions that uh, people are looking to address? Absolutely. So um, in the New York 19th congressional district where I live, um, we're now, we've now had this council for now three members of Congress, um, two Republicans and a Democrat, so Chris Gibson, John Faso, and now Antonio Delgado. Um, and, the, the, and both Chris Gibson and uh, Antonio Delgado have been on our podcast. Um, and it's a group of county veteran service officers. Um, local advocates, and then, so there's a mix of both individual and institutional, institutionally affiliated individuals. And the last meeting that we had before uh, Congressman Delgado uh, was sworn in, we talked about uh, Blue Water Navy veterans. Um, the Blue Water Navy vets bill was actually initially uh, co-sponsored by um, then Congressman Chris Gibson. Um, and uh, the Deborah Sampson Act. So one of the issues that we talked about extensively was the fact that the Albany VA Women's Health Facility is fantastic. However, most of us live 30, 60, two hours away from it, minutes, two hours away from it. Um, 
but might live, say, 10 minutes away from a community-based outpatient center that does not serve women veterans. So it's a number of those issues. Um, one of the issues that we also talked about was access to information. So when I was organizing the last meeting, because I'm now chair of this council, um, I had a list of about 45 email addresses and started getting all of these kickbacks from some of these um, institutionally affiliated email accounts. So I thought, okay, well, there are 11 counties in this district, so let me go to every single one of those counties' websites and go on the veterans' page and get those email addresses. And I still was getting kickbacks. And at the meeting, we I brought up, I was like, okay, does anybody have other contact information for, they're like, well, why, why isn't this county here? Well, they, I had this email address, and they didn't respond. Like, oh, no, no. But we, we have this, this, this guy that has all of the email addresses, and it's updated and disseminated every month. Disseminated where? It's not on any website. You can't Google it. The, the way that you get it is how I ultimately got it, which is that someone else sent it to you. And so that has been one of the biggest challenges that we've worked through, which is the information is out there. But it's not getting to people in an efficient manner and in a means that they necessarily need to consume information. And I'm going to assume that is that one of the things kind of drove you to create this podcast, the idea of disseminating that information? It was exactly that. It was the fact that I realized that, and we both realized this, that the way that information was getting out was word of mouth. But word of mouth is different based on your age or generation. So it might be by email. It might be by, you know, someone talking to you in a local coffee shop. One coffee shop in my town. Um, at my last American Legion meeting, there was a 10-minute discussion about why we couldn't advertise the newspaper because nobody was going to, nobody, nobody, no one was going to look at an advertising newspaper. Um, and so we decided, okay, well, we'll do this by word of mouth, but we'll start this podcast and spread information by word of mouth in a means that people who are our age will consume. Gotcha. Um, I would say it's definitely clearly worked because I, <laughs> I stumbled across you guys. I was like, instantly, but that's something I need to be into, and it seems to be great so far. Um, so, Roger, the kind of flip side of that, those non-vet issues um, that affect veterans, um, you all both have done a really tremendous job of pointing these out. Uh, Looking back at your Syracuse.com uh, article uh, about the U.S. breaking promises with vets, as well as uh, something else that you, you've highlighted, uh, the racial income divide. Again, that's not a veteran issue, uh, but I was looking into this, and this is kind of shocking. Uh, I was looking at an article from the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, uh, and New York, these are the most unequal times since the Guild era, and New York is the most unequal state out of all 50 states. So that's saying a lot within itself. Um, but that's income inequality. What does that have to do with what we're doing here? Well, so uh, based off of new research, uh, I'm going to pull a quote here from JAMA. There's a robust literature linking income inequality to health disparities, and thus why the income inequality uh, is a cause for concern. So that sounds problematic for people that are on the lower rung. However, um, so apparently uh, high levels of inequality, according to epidemiologists, uh, negatively affect the health of even the affluent mainly because researchers contend inequality reduces social cohesion and a dynamic that leads to more stress, fear, and insecurity for everyone. So just being in a state with high income inequality is affecting everyone's health. And again, that's not a veteran issue, but that's certainly affecting 
returning veterans, like you're mentioning, why would you want to come to a place that's that competitive, that that's hard? Um, so I'll kind of expand on that. What other issues are you seeing, uh, like the shutdown, things that are happening on a, on a national level or even on a state level that aren't veteran issues that are affecting veterans? Yeah, I, I try not to keep, uh, I try not to make it too complicated. We, we try to boil it down to basic issues that everybody can sort of uh, get around like the concept of fairness, right? Which is why our commentary on the VA, if you listen to the podcast over the past couple months, was pretty fiery because, you know, there are many great people who work at the VA um, in D.C., across uh, the country. But the uh, messaging from the leadership was just garbage. Um, from the staff to the top, it was very much like, not our problem, we're not going to pay you, whatever, it's too hard. And right when I heard that... Uh, the VA uh, staffers call the congressional staffers and say, oh, we're not going to back pay these veterans who we've uh, you know, weaseled out of uh, their GI Bill housing stipend because there's too many claims and we just can't do it. Uh, was, you know, no, that's, that's not how we do this. Uh, if you can't do the job, uh, step aside and let somebody else do the job. Or come to Congress, which is your, what you're supposed to do, and ask for more money be honest about well, how much money and how many resources it's going to take to do this. So um, it's mostly looking for things like that where generally across the country, I feel like uh, people want to help veterans and people are helping veterans. You know, places like the New York State Health Foundation are doing a fantastic job and we're glad that they're here. Um, but there are people in power and people in places that need to be held accountable and we can't take our foot off the gas uh, let them sort of screw veterans, sorry. <laughs> Quite all right. Uh, so I, I think that really kind of highlights something that you all, again, do a great job of, is one, pointing out, hey, here's this huge problem, and here's why it's affecting veterans, and here's why you should care about it. But then also, here's how to engage. I think that's usually, uh, like, the missing link. There are people that will make a Facebook selfie video in their truck and yell at a whole bunch of people, and, and then that's it. Um, and then what do you do? And I think both of you have pointed out... Um, Ways to do that. I definitely want to harp on that a little bit later. Uh, but uh, Andrea, so I'd be remiss certainly if I didn't talk about the fastest growing demographic in the military and veteran communities, which is uh, women. I think it's very important for everyone to know for a lot of reasons. Um, and the most recent numbers uh, from VA uh, here in New York State uh, show that about 58,000 uh, there are 58,000 women vets uh, here throughout the state, and it's about seven and a half percent of the total population. Um, so we know this is fastest growing. We know it's incredibly important uh, to address the needs. Uh, what, what are those needs, either nationally? How does it trans? Uh, how does it transpire into New York State? And also, are there things good or bad in New York State, like you mentioned about the Albany Women's Center? Are there things good or bad that uh, you'd like to highlight about women veterans care in New York? Um, yeah. So a couple of factors. One of them is just visibility and awareness, and the fact that. Women serve, and women serve in the military, and women serve in the military in every single job. And quite frankly, women have served in every role in the military. In the United, I mean, we'll just talk about the United States. The first woman who was recognized a combat veteran in the United States was wounded in 1783, and that was Deborah Sampson. Um, I'm pretty sure Margaret Corbin, some people know Molly Pitcher, was also wounded. Yes. So the there's a little bit of absurdity and like, oh, the women serve, but like, you were like admin support, like admin support gets shot at, by the way. Um, and so it's just, a, so the, the acknowledgement is a big thing. And that acknowledgement actually does have 
Um, I mean, I've seen it as having an impact on healthcare because when you're constantly told that you don't belong, you often end up, and this is something that I looked at for my master's research, my thesis, is that a lot of women withdraw from the, from the identifying as veterans in part because we've been really pushed away so many times that at what point we're like, well, if I identify as a veteran, I'm going to have to explain my presence again, and it's just going to be too much. Too much. So, okay, now what are some of the, some of the needs? Women veterans are the fastest growing homeless population, full stop. Fastest growing homeless population in the United States. And there are a lot of other underlying factors to that. Um, they're more likely to be parents. They're more likely to be single parents to have um, be in and out of um, intimate partner violence relationships. And so these are some of the things that um, really require awareness within healthcare community. The VA is very well aware of that. But how can healthcare providers who are not affiliated with the VA be aware of some of these issues? And that is what I would really like to see. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and I, I think most of you are familiar, but we at the foundation uh, commissioned a, a study with the Rand Corporation. And it looked at, uh, the idea was we know that statistically from, I think, 2015, we're about one in five VA appointments from the private sector. Now it's one in three. So whether you pro-privatize or not, it's already happening. So the question is, if it's already happening, how do we guarantee that that care is equally, uh, is equal, uh, you know, on par with VA care, um, ideally better, but we know VA has actually pretty high uh, quality of care, it's less expensive. Um, so we looked at, okay, how many private providers are capable of providing this care? It's about 2%. Yeah. Uh, we thought it was going to be bad, but geez, like that's... <laughs> we cited that study a bunch of times. It's, yeah. it's wild. eye-opening, right? Like, yeah, and, and I, I mean, again, like I didn't expect there to be a lot, uh, but even that was like pretty pretty wild. So I think that's something that we're looking at doing now is now that we've identified that need somewhere to you all. Identify something, now how do we put some resources behind it to, to, to make some change? Uh, and it's definitely an issue that we're seeing. Uh, yeah, I think there's a higher percentage of veterans represented in the coffee and apparel industry. I can almost guarantee that. That's, uh, that's not shocking. Uh, <laughs> um, so regarding you know particular interests, Andrea, I was actually talking to my buddy Matt Say, I'm looking for someone like that, that's really kept to you know women veteran issues. I was like, Andrea, like read anything that she's ever wrote. Like definitely chat with her. She's the go-to. Um, and Roger, a particular interest of you, and this is something I find pretty interesting. Um, you discussed this uh, a need for more veteran entrepreneurs, small business owners, um, especially in Central New York. And I looked it up, and you couldn't be more accurate. This is pretty wild. Uh, so according to our friends over at the uh, at Syracuse University's Institute for Veterans and Military Families. Uh, almost half of World War II veterans came home and started a business. 40% of Korean War veterans came home and started a business. For our generation, post 9 11, 4.5%. Yeah, that's crazy. And that's crazy for a lot of reasons. Um, and it's something that you pointed out, which I, this was my initial response like, oh, well, it must be because like a funding issue. The capital is there. So, what's happening? What, what is happening with our generation, and then how does it particularly pertain to Central? Well, how much time you got? Uh, this is a larger, uh, part of this is a larger narrative on um, the state of probably antitrust today and the fact that it's harder and harder for anybody to break into business because we have such large, giant conglomerates. We're breaking the record on uh, mergers and acquisitions every week, it feels like, um, and it's getting ridiculous. So there's that. Um, there's also... Um, so it's, it's easier for veterans to find themselves, and this is something that we've talked about, 
it's easier just to go to Silicon Valley or go to New York City, but my general pitch is, you know, what are the things that make Silicon Valley great? Um, access to capital, uh, density of uh, research and development opportunities in universities, um, just the people who are there, um, good schools for your children if you have them. Um, we have all that in central New York. We have it in the southern tier. We have it in the Hudson Valley, right? We have great schools. We have uh, research and development opportunities. Our property is cheaper. The capital is cheaper. We have access to capital here in New York City on the East Coast. Um, our infrastructure could be a little bit better between maybe Syracuse and New York City and Boston, but it's not horrible. Um, and by the way, it's cheaper, did I mention? Uh, your money can go a lot, a lot farther. And by the way, you're going to be one of just a few people and a few businesses with an opportunity to build a legacy uh, and build something truly great. Whereas you go to Silicon Valley and you know you're one of you know ten thousand people trying to break out. So the I feel like the VC community is slowly moving over. I think they're like in Ohio now, right? Like we, we're 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 going to get there. Uh, I believe in that strongly. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's. Our opportunities to explore things like, you know, maybe instead of the full GI Bill, can we use that equivalent amount of money and use it as seed, seed funding for veterans to start small businesses? You know, the state, uh, Small Business Administration, the federal SBA, right, um, are already doing, they already have a lot of great programs, but this is one of the things we ran into, right, that we already talked about, which is the ability to access that. Like, where do you start, right? Where is... The websites, such as they exist at the federal and state level, are pretty good. But once you get into, okay, I'm living in Cayuga County. Oh, Cayuga County is actually fine, so that's a bad example. But I'm living in, uh, you know, Wayne County, where I grew up. How, where do I start? And because there is, there's so much available, and it's just getting access to that, using it smartly, and then having elected officials who will look at how it's being used, the metrics, and how we can reform, craft legislation, and make it even better. Right? So. Yeah, I feel pretty strong about that. That's a pretty solid pitch. Uh, <laughs> I'm in central New York. <laughs> so do you want people to move back and start doing this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. uh, this actually just uh, read uh, Decolonizing Wealth by Edgar Villanueva. And he points out, I think this kind of full circle with like the racial inequality, um, venture capital funding uh, going to at least 90% uh, white men. So again, just not it's, it's a national issue that it's hard to access that if you're a person of color, especially Woman. Especially let's um, talk about, I'm just going to make a pitch that Onondaga County, where Syracuse is, has the worst racial, uh, especially black and Hispanic poverty, in the United States of America. It is the worst county. We have, I think, three of the worst five counties in upstate New York. Um, so that's not good. Yeah, that's one of the Brookings Institute study, Chris. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's always hard. I always do this about the Marine Corps, so former Marine, uh, and we're kind of culty, and it's just how we are. Uh, but it's one of those things that we can we can you know say bad things about New York, but like you can't say bad things about New York. I feel the same way about New York. Uh, I live in the Bronx. It's the least healthy county in all of New York State. Um, it's the poorest congressional district in the United States of America. Um, those aren't things that we should be particularly proud of. But again, I think it's it's hard to say that, but we have to point that out so we know where the deficiencies are. Um, tough to do, but I'm glad that we're having those conversations and not just shying away from it. Because I mean, to be honest, it's incredibly embarrassing. You know what I mean? That's not what you want New York to be known for uh, by any means. And we can leverage veterans to change that. I think we're such an untapped resource, especially women in service-disabled uh, small businesses can be a real power to turn that narrative around and start to stem the tide. So.
Yeah, no, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Uh, so, Andrea, uh, you know, we're, we here at the foundation, we're particularly focused on returning vets and post 9 veterans. And one of the things that we always run into is everyone has, like, I got the cure for TBI, but I just need to find out where the veterans are. I'm like, I, I don't know I don't know how to find them, you know what I mean? Like, it's tough. Everyone's looking, especially for women veterans, like you mentioned, that don't self-identify. Um, that's a huge issue. So we, we try to be rational and realize, well, a whole bunch of veterans are going back to college campuses because of the generosity of the GI Bill. SANS, the most recent kind of mix-up of payment. Um, but we something we were interested in is, okay, well, we know they're returning to college campuses. We know there are health challenges for students, or just students in general. So what about the health challenges of student veterans? We partnered with SUNY New Pulse and uh, created a uh, curriculum for uh, competency for student veterans, their health needs. Um, and that's gone really well. We're really excited about that. We're wrapping that project up in about a month or so. And then also looking at how to expand that. How do we understand these needs? Um, and I think I'm sitting next to someone who has a pretty good grasp of what some uh, student veteran needs are. Can you tell us a little bit more about service to school, your role there? And anything in particular about uh, the needs of student veterans, especially in New York? So I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Service to School, which is a nonprofit organization that helps service members and veterans get into the best college or graduate school possible. Um, Long-time New York State Connection, founded by three West Point graduates and a former dean of admissions from the University of Chicago. And it was, it was started back in 2011 because there were, at many of the top schools in the country, um, let's just name schools in New York State that are part of it now, like Cornell, for example. There were no veterans. Um, and now some of these schools now they part, either partner with us or indirectly because of just this, this consistent work, um, they have dozens of veterans. So um, Cornell is one of our partner institutions. Syracuse is one of our partner institutions. Um, Columbia University has 445 veterans in their School of General Studies. Um, and, and, and so a lot of what we've been doing is working, we work with veterans on their application. We are like that high school guidance counselor, but also battle buddy, um, that works with people throughout the entire, their entire application process. And we also work with institutions of higher education. Um, one of the biggest things that we see is just that transitioning service members do not even realize their own potential when it comes to accessing higher education. There's been nobody in their life previously who says, oh yeah, you could you could go to Cornell. I was like, first of all, a lot of the time I'm like, okay, what's Cornell? <laughs> and, and you're nuts. And uh, so a lot of what we've been doing is we work with them and say, okay, and, and, a, and, a, and a veteran applying to college is going to have a very, very different education history. They'll have transcripts from different institutions, they'll have a lot of breaks in their education. Um, and a lot of what we do in addition to that that counseling is explain what a bronze star is because a, an admissions committee is going to understand what a national merit scholar is, but may not understand that someone who's a linguist has learned two languages makes um, and so when they get to and when they get to the campuses, uh, they do do they do very well. Um, one of the things that we started to look at is that veterans very, very rapidly, um, and I, I, I'm not going to give a bunch of statistics because frankly I don't remember them off the top of my head now, but um, very rapidly, uh, non-traditional students are going to outnumber so-called traditional students on college campuses. 
and by non-traditional students, thinking people who have grades of education, who might be going back to school as parents, first-generation college students, and um, veterans are real microcosm of that. Over over sixty percent are first-generation college students. Um, close to half are non-white. Nearly thirty percent are women. Nearly thirty percent are parents. And so, if you have this population that um, if you serve them well, you're going to serve this rapidly growing population of non-traditional Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I think that's something that, that I think we're being more aware of now is there's this, all oh, just stereotypes in the military. Don't need to explain this to anyone. Uh, but the idea is like, oh, if you have a mental health struggle, like you killed a whole bunch of people in war and like saw bad stuff happen, all that. Like there's absolutely those issues. But I think what we're understanding now is similar to the veteran community, it's, it's just like everyone else. There's so many stressors and, and factors that, that weigh on you. So if you're a first-time college student and you're trying to apply to one of these schools and you do have a mental health uh, disorder or something is going on in your life, that's just adding to it. So I, I think it's always tough for us to focus on like what's what's the cure for PTSD and what is like, you know, how are we going to fix these larger issues? And I think that's definitely important, but just to assume that like every veteran issue is like combat related, I think you're not fully understanding what veterans go through. Um, and you both had kind of very interesting college, I guess, experiences, right? Uh, Naval Academy, and then you went to Harvard yeah. while you were still in? Yeah, I did. Uh, then I tricked the Navy and paid for it. So that's nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's actually, we met in Boston. That was the first time we met. You were at Tufts, I was at the Kennedy School at Harvard. Um, I was there for a year, got the degree, check, move on. So, nice. um, yeah, but it was, you know, Harvard used to be a place that maybe was not as welcoming to veterans. That's pretty well documented. But now, uh, because of the influence of veteran service organizations and uh, veteran educational programs, there were dozens of veterans that throughout all the schools at Harvard. They still have some work to do at the undergraduate level, but um, it's... Uh, They're part of the lesson. <laughs> sales pitch here, but uh, there's a there's a there's a Harvard stereotype. Um, it exists and is real and accurate in some places, but um, the the veteran community there is strong and it's it's good. Yeah, I think it's the thing that kind of shocked me. Uh, so personally, um, kind of similarly, you had a scholarship through Pat Tillman uh, for graduate school. Yes, grad school, um, yellow ribbon and. Was Correct. That? So my master's degree cost somebody $98,000 a dime. <laughs> Which is amazing cool. considering there are about $1.3 trillion in student loan debt like kind of percolating out there. Um, and I, I, same thing I tell people, I had the GI Bill to move to New York City to go to grad school. I grew up in Baytown, Texas. If I'd have told you know six-year-old me that, I'd have just died laughing because that's never going to happen. But it's a great resource. But even then, I didn't get paid for like the first four months living in New York City, GI bills, all, and that weighed on me heavily, like the idea of adding those stressors. So I think it's really important to understand that, yes, connecting veterans to a, a, you know, a resource that's helping them in college, that seems like an education benefit, which it certainly is, but it's so much more than that. And I think the more we understand that, hopefully the more we'll see the value in why those things are important. And uh, so I think another thing uh, that you all do very well is... Uh, diplomatically talk about politics. Um, it's this third row, we're all afraid because like you bring it up and something else, someone can say something awkward, we're getting into this fight or whatever the case may be. And it's without a doubt like super polarized time. I just looked at a few of the comment sections on some of the pieces both of you wrote. 
Um, and it's very clear things are very polarized. Uh, don't look at the comment section. Yeah, no, you it's always look at the comment section. I mean, man, that is wild. Um, who has time to do that, by the way? Like, I have yet to meet a person who's like, hi, um, in my spare time, I write YouTuber comments. Syracuse.com. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's almost always the same people who are just like lurking, like, oh, did, did Roger or Andrew write something today? Yeah, you could time. It seems that way. It's crazy. Um, but I think, again, I think it's really important that we have these conversations because politics affects us all. Certainly, political issues that affect veterans. So there are things that we need to be talking about and have that discussion. Um, so I was looking at, um, you know, most recent midterm elections and, you know, what is representation, uh, veteran representation in Congress? After Vietnam, uh, about 75% of veterans, uh, 75% of Congress was veterans. That's a pretty healthy uh, number. Um, now it's 18%. So I was going to the numbers and looking at this and then revisiting uh, a past episode of Two Vets Upstate. And Andrea points out everyone's focused on, you know, federal uh, office and no one cares about local politics. I'm like, Dang. Same. <laughs> like, that's the first thing I thought is, is federal politics. Yeah. Um, so can you all just speak to kind of what's happening politically in New York uh, as local or statewide? Um, you could adjust the aperture as needed. But uh Tell us about how things are happening politically and how it's impacting veterans, good or bad. Yeah, well, I mean, let's just start more broadly, I think, and say that um, there is a stereotype of among veterans politically that we're all um, conservative and very, you know, strongly, you know, I'm a coffee mug that's a veteran-owned coffee company that has also strong conservative political views with my, you know, American flag, T-shirt, black, you know, so... Uh, that's a pretty strong stereotype. Hollywood reinforces it with, you know, I think there's like a SEAL sitcom TV show on at night. Yeah, there's a yeah, so. yeah. Super great. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but that is not who veterans are, and that's not what a sizable chunk of veterans are. So part of our uh, modus operandi here is to talk about issues as our other veterans talk about them, right? We try to be reasonable, and we uh, try to call people out, like I mentioned, when they're doing stupid things, which is I should be a bipartisan issue, really. And I'm uh, yeah. so many. <laughs> you did that with the brand. Like, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, you're not kidding. Um, but sort of uh, broadly, we just want to, you know, we want people to know who their representatives are and how they can be involved and how, you know, whether it's uh, meeting at the local level, meeting with their congressman, how they can effectively sort of lobby, um, if you will, what the themes are that are uh, being talked about nationally that affect people at, at the state and local level. So um, we're going to see some things that are going to impact veterans this year with Governor Cuomo um, potentially legalizing and hopefully decriminalizing uh, marijuana. It's going to be a big thing for veterans. Veteran service organizations across the country are supportive of it. So it's about time that uh, a state like New York takes that on and, and starts to do it. So, uh, what else are we? What else right. Are we and, and right now, well, I mean, even those, uh, even the, the big six on le le uh, legacy veteran service organizations like the DSW, American Legion, um, support some of these organizations support anywhere from a range of legalization to research. But at a minimum, they all support research um, uh, into marijuana for healthcare. Um, so some other issues to consider. A lot of the issues that we often think about as, oh, I'm going to reach out to my member of Congress to see if 
uh, she or he and or his or her office can support me with this actually end up being a local issue. And this is what we got back to in, in talking about those county veteran service officers. Every single county in New York State has a veterans representative who can help with claims, with access to information and resources. But oftentimes, people's first point of contact is going to be their member of Congress. So that's something to think about in how, how do we connect the two. Um, in, in, the, in the 19th, those veteran service officers are on the committee. And um, what we're working on is that uh, Congressman Delgado's office will put out their information uh, when someone calls the office. And, and previously, both... Congressman Gibson and Congressman Bassett did that as well. Um, one of the other things to think about is that your county veteran service officer is working typically with a federal entity, the Department of Veterans Affairs, whether it's um, the, the Veterans Health Administration or Veterans Benefits Administration. Um, but there's no SOP for how this state and local entity has to deal with a federal organization. And so that you know, certainly poses a policy challenge. And then finally, we, we've talked about this extensively, is there's a lot of attention given to veterans running for Congress. There's not a lot of attention given to veterans running for state and local office and what kind of impact that will have. Um, as a couple of shout-outs, a good friend of ours, Adrian Perkins, just was sworn in as the mayor of Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, he's 33 years old. Uh, West Point, Harvard Law School grad, Pat Tillman scholar, and wants to save his city. And his narrative, and, and, and knowing him is very, very genuine, is I want to continue to serve. Uh, I served all over the world. I served my country, and now I want to serve in my local community. Um, and one of our fellow um, Truman uh, fellows, uh, Pat Ryan, who previously ran for Congress, just announced that he's going to run for Ulster County Executive. So you're starting to you're starting to see this as well on the local level. Um, and I would keep an eye on it. And as we have people listening and watching out there, um, consider it as well. And also RT um, from our uh, Truman class is running for Oak Park trustee in Illinois. So yeah, I, I mean, I love that. I, I think um, people don't really realize this, but service is like a sweet, sweet drug. Like, you get a little bit of it, and you just want to continue serving. And I think you look at uh, organizations like the Mission Continues, everyone, like you were saying, um, even just individually, like, I want to continue serving. Uh, Roger, you actually brought up, uh, what was it? I want to say there was like a trash incinerator issue. Oh my gosh, sometimes I talk about like hyper local things. But I mean, that, but that's what's important. I think this, right. yeah, yeah. We, we tend to focus on like myopically, this is a veteran issue, and this is not a veteran issue. Um, but I think the same way, like Department of Veterans Affairs, like the first, you know, pacemaker, like some uh, organ transplant, the, those first happened in a veteran hospital, and that went on to help, you know, countless of other non veterans. Right. I feel like veteran serving is the same thing. Like, you taking up issue with um, air quality or toxic exposure, like on at Newburgh and stuff like that. Like veterans stepping up is, is one important, just you know, for that reason alone. But then two, that ripple effect. So, can you talk about what what happened? Yeah, with that? Is, I was just talking about this in Syracuse this weekend, which is that um, you know there often are two sides to a particular issue, just because we have two major political parties. Um, and we see every day that we've turned the other side off, right? So if a typical 
Democratic or progressive constituency comes out for something, the Republican or conservative constituency just doesn't listen or assumes that it's the wrong thing to do. So that's where veterans can have a little bit of, of, uh, of influence is in coming together and, and thinking of smart solutions and coming out for them that generally makes people listen a little bit. Um, for better or for worse, uh, sometimes we earn it. Sometimes we're Duncan Hunter uh, and we should be ignored and drummed out of Congress. Um, but um, that's, that is an influence and a lot of, you know, Pam Campos Palma and uh, Common Defense, uh, previously with Common Defense now, uh, have done a fantastic job of helping veterans realize that you can have a voice in the political process. Um, it's going to take some skin in the game, but it's another reason why it's important to have veterans all across the country. Uh, know where they are, and then realize what kind of power and influence they can have and to execute it you know, responsibly and, and respectfully. When I, was, when I was canvassing before the November elections, I would always wear my Navy sweatshirt that I don't think I've worn that much since officer canvas school. Um, but people talk to you, and people will um, talk to you for longer and, and at least ask questions um, when, if, uh, when, had I not been wearing that, it would have just been like, nope, not interested, don't want to hear it. Um, and so that's a way that every single person can be involved in service, frankly, becomes a compulsion um, and, and a way to continue to, to do that. Yeah, so for sure, you, you bring donuts to the door too, they, <laughs> they'll open it for you. Donuts and Are we talking about like cider donuts? Uh, I've seen your cider donuts. Or... We're going to get to that. <laughs> uh, no, I think it's really important because I, I think, yeah, when we're looking at the way things are going currently, um, it'd be one thing if everything was just like going swimmingly and everyone's happy and for the most part everyone's taken care of. Unfortunately, nowadays, maybe ever, it just doesn't seem like it's the case. Um, again, like uh, New York is my state, is my home. Like I love it here. Um, but New York State is hella corrupt. Like <laughs> crazy. Like I'm I'm listening to this podcast, American Scandal. Yeah. And according to the University of uh, Missouri Research, it's the most corrupt state out of all fifty. Looking at how many people have been prosecuted, um, speakers of the assembly being arrested, like it's crazy. What's so the, I think what's the musical line? Corruption, such an old song, we can sing along in harmony, and nowhere is it stronger than in Albany. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, but that's so true. But I think that also, again, identifying a problem to say, hey, we need people who are service oriented or community oriented. And I think you'd be hard pressed to look at any other population and say there's someone more. Uh, capable than the veteran community because it's ingrained. It's people that um, are used to serving, that you that um, you know, have a passion for can, others. Can I push back on that just a little I bit? Insist, please, yeah. please. Uh, it is also important for people to know that veterans shouldn't get carte blanche. And oh, we, yeah. we, uh, we, we harp on Duncan Hunter, but there have been many throughout history um, who have used sort of the public... Uh, good that veterans have earned in society, right, the most trusted profession, and have used it for their own personal or selfish aims. Uh, it's important for people in the general public to know that uh, veterans are just like everybody else. We got some real bad people in probably the same percentage as the rest of the population. So um, I forgot who was saying, I think maybe with Chris Gibson, uh, former congressman, who said, um, but it was General McChrystal uh, in his, uh, one of his many recent op-eds, who said, you know, don't you know, make us earn it. You know, make veterans earn it. Don't just give them a free pass because uh, they are a former service member, but, you know, make them earn it. So, yeah, we do 
we are, you know, pretty service oriented, but you gotta also make us show our work. And yeah, that's important because that's what you want out of all government officials. Yeah, no, certainly. And I, I love looking at like civic health index and looking, you know, veterans vote more, they volunteer more, they're more active in their community. And I think that's, you know, proven uh, time and again. Uh, but yes, just because you're a veteran does not mean that you, you know, uh, automatically qualify for virtually anything. So I think it, yes, very much needs to be earned. Um, yeah, right now things aren't looking super great across the board. So I think uh, maybe mixing things up a little bit certainly be needed. Um, so we chatted about this. Um, you all have been around. I was listening to one of your first podcasts, um, and you're referencing uh, Secretary Wilkie getting nominated the Mission Act. And I was like, have you guys been around for 10 years? Because that must have been forever ago. Um, and that was six months ago. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Um, but looking back on that, you all have some time to reflect now. So from the start till now, um, just going to throw some like, random questions at you. Um, what are some podcasts that you look to kind of replicate? Or is there something that you build like your model off of? Or ones that you're like, I don't want to be like that one? I think Bombshell is probably yeah. one of the ones we both listen to. I love Bombshell. Yeah. Um, it's done by, um, he's from like Warren Roth. Okay, yes. Um, he, um, the three commentators on it are all three women who have very, very deep national security expertise. Um, and we, one of the reasons we wanted to replicate that is, so first of all, that we did kind of steal the what are you eating or drinking from them. We 100% did. Sorry, Aaron. <laughs> um, but they, they approach very wonkish, complex issues with humor mm -hmm. um, and present it in a manner that anyone can understand. Um, we both have you know, deep, wonkish expertise in a number of topics, but not all of them. And so, so I really appreciate that, that they'll go from, they'll be talking about aircraft carriers that I know quite a bit about to some kind of staffing process the Pentagon that I know nothing about. Um, and it's exciting. It's exciting to learn about it. So that's one of my favorites. What about you? Yeah, there are a bunch. And uh, I find that I can't even listen to all of them that I want to listen to, which I guess is a first world problem by definition. So um, what a hell of a way to die is a, a good... Uh, it's a very, if you're on a political spectrum, it would be sort of way to the left, um, but they're very passionate and they care about veterans' issues, and they're talking about the things that you're eventually going to talk about later on down the line. They're, they're sort of the early adopters there. Um, in terms of like what we, you know, I don't even really know. We sort of adopted a format and then ran with it because it was, I'm still editing it at my kitchen table, basically, so it's, it's easy, but uh, everybody wants to be, you know, like this American life. Right? You want to have like a nice sound. You want to be able to tell stories because, you know, one of the other reasons that we started this is that narrative is powerful. And it's not just listening to narrative, but being able to tell your narrative for other veterans um, sometimes unlocks, um, can unlock healing. Uh, it can unlock an awareness of problems that you didn't really realize that you had until you get the opportunity to tell your story. So... That's something that we hope to continue to do, and we're already talking about doing more of in season two, which is to find, you know, it's great to have, you know, Congressman uh, Delgado on. And we're not going to say that we're the reason why he got elected, but he did come on the Sunday before the election. So you got the podcast on. There we go. But, um, you know, we also want to have, you know, veterans on the streets. We want to have every kind of veteran from every possible background and to be able to tell their story and know 
then um, it's a powerful thing to be able to do. And I see Kristen here, and that's, you know, she's doing it, and so many other veterans across uh, the state and the country are doing it. And, uh, it's, it's a powerful thing that we feel privileged to be a part of and uh, feel sort of crazy that people listen, but uh, it's, it's nice to be able to do. I mean, I really am um, biased here, but uh, it's a really great podcast. Like I said, like, I, a lot of what I do is looking at what's happening across the state, and you do so much of my work for me, so thank you. Uh, and But it's, it's really good to know, like, politically, like, what bills are being passed here, federally what's happening so we can fill gaps. Um, and then also just the community stuff. I think a lot of times, you know, someone will reach out and be like, hey, I'm just interested in something. And I, I'm looking for those resources so I can't just say, hey, I'll just Google it really quickly. Like, it's good to have those warm handoffs. Um, and to your both previous point, really great resources throughout the state. I mean, it is really a great place to be a veteran. Uh, again, very biased, but I'll, I'll stand by that. Um, I do like the segment of what you're drinking, what you're eating. It's all local. Um, any favorites? What stands out? Oh my goodness. Okay, I just got a gift for you all. Yes. Yeah, I'll not be drinking that right now. <laughs> that's from a distillery that's like half mile from my house. Harvest spirit. We are always, oh, I'm just going to let you talk about it. I think I drink nine pin cider on like every other episode, maybe every episode. Um, yeah. Kalaka Estates up in Fairhaven, great wine. I grew, so I grew up in, in rural in Red Creek, and Fairhaven is on Lake Ontario, sort of in. Cuba County, close to Wayne County. Um, but it was sort of like, you know, you grew up, and you, you remember, like, growing up before iPhones? Like, what did we do before iPhones? You know, I still don't even know. Um, there was no winery where I grew up, and now there's a winery, so uh, it makes going home a little easier. Uh, I not that, so uh, Calaco Estates is great. There are so many new breweries here in New York, which is across the state, but Syracuse has a bunch, yeah, which makes living back there also nice. Uh, and in addition to breweries, I mean, it's a, um, we've, they've done a good job of organizing around space, so great for events, um, hosting things. So we talk about, you know, uh, veteran service organizations sort of being uh, sometimes just a bar that you end up sitting around and sitting in a, you know, American Legion Hall or something. But um, breweries, wineries give the opportunity for a new space, outdoors, good, uh, locally crafted uh, alcohol or, you know, Cider, I guess, such as it is. So, um, so that's great too. Um, so, can I ask a few more questions? Then we'll open it up. So, if any uh, audience questions are out there, um, excited to hear those from you all. Um, we'll have a mic. We'll be passed around as well. Um, so, one of my favorite podcasts, next to yours, of course. Um, Arian uh, Foster, uh, former Texans running back, um, really great podcast. And his like ideal guest is Jim Carrey. So after every episode, he gets his current guest like make a plea, like please come <laughs> to the show. Um, so if you if you had a same plea, who is like your ideal guest? Someone that like you sit down and do a whole segment. With? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. Now I'm never gonna be able to stop thinking about this. <laughs> so thanks for that. Uh, yeah, we'll take Barack Obama, man. You know, <laughs> yeah, few minutes of your time, I guess. Uh, I can't really talk about it. I mean, topically, right? Like, we would like to have Governor Cuomo on. I feel like because there's a lot of uh, we would like to get him to talk about veterans' issues uh, yeah. off state a little bit more. So, yeah, I would, I would, you know, I would love to have someone on, also like uh, Dr. Joe Biden or Elizabeth Dole, who have also worked extensively on supporting caregivers and military families. Absolutely. We also just, you know, we say this, and they're still, of course they're super famous people because we fan the rolling boy. Uh, but 
we also just want people with really great stories. Uh, one of our best podcasts was, I mean, uh, Matt Zeller is yeah. famous in his own right, ran for Congress, runs No One Left Behind, but that episode was that amazing. amazing. We asked like one question, he spoke for 45 minutes, but it was, <laughs> it was a it was his story from beginning to end with rises and falls, and I think I had tears in my eyes through most of it, but um, that's what we're looking for is, is stories, so send them our way, especially yeah. in their own state. And that's exactly it. Some of the most fun guests that we've had and most compelling guests that we've had have been people who were like, oh, this person's from upstate New York. Maybe they want to come on the podcast and then just blow this away. Who did you recently find out was from upstate New York? Lana Del Rey is from Lake Placid, New York. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the next ideal guest. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so similarly, kind of, you you had mentioned um, in one of the episodes that also looking for guests, like people that you want, you know, on uh, veterans or something stories. Every vet's uh, story deserves to be told, and I couldn't agree with that more. It's just it's you know cathartic for usually the person telling the story. It usually connects. I've rarely told someone something I've gone through where they didn't say, "Holy smokes, me too!" Like, wow, a friend of mine. Um, so it, it does a lot, but then also, I think, having other people hear that on a larger scale. Um, target audience, who who do you want listening to this? I know as many people as possible. Barack Obama, uh, you know, the governor. Uh, but as far as um, just, you know, New York State, are there organizations, are there people that, um, you know, certain types of veterans are just really running the gamut, I'm sure, the, the more the barrier. So um, we would love, in, in New York State in particular, um, Institutional, so I would already say New York State. Uh, we've already, we know New York State Department of Veterans Affairs Lessons because um, they invited us to do an episode um, at Cooperstown, which was, yeah. you know, we went to the baseball Hall of Fame for an episode. I was jealous of that. Awesome. <laughs> um, but thinking about, so a lot of these legacy form, uh, veteran service organizations have state entities. So, for example, there's New York State American Legion. I would love if they listen. I would also love if that veteran who's just done his or her final permanent change of station back to home kind of knows maybe they want to be in New York State, don't really know what exactly I want them to listen. Um, and um, yeah. who else? Who else are people who can help us solve problems who also aren't veterans, right? So um, really yes. uh, we talk a lot about um, accessing and finding out who veterans are. Um, the secret to that is having a really great database and having it accessible by the people who need access to it. But then also database maintainers. So I was talking to my friend John in Syracuse about doing this locally, right? Like, how do we maintain the database? How do we know who from here is actively serving, when their service is going to end, and then talking to them before that point about coming back here, are you an entrepreneur, are you looking for a job? We have all the pieces in the state, right? We have veterans employment representatives, we have VSOs, county VSAs, you know, small, you know, uh, so many acronyms, but it's just who is, who is like the on wing, we used to say in aviation, right? Like who is, who is going out and actively uh, helping this person go through this process? Uh, we want to reach those people. So, um, when on, and some, some people, you know, I see a lot of, I see a lot of veteran communities here. So, as a lot of people remember when you, when you got your DD-214, which is the discharge, discharge paperwork, there's a little box where you can elect to have your, your DD-214 sent to your State Department of Veterans Affairs. So the state knows who the veterans are, and certainly federal level knows who the veterans are. County veteran service officers cannot access your DD-214. So that 
person who is on the ground who has that most tactical day-to-day -day interaction and has the ability to make the most impact on individual veterans can, doesn't know who veterans are, so they can't reach out and say, hey, did you know that this resource is available to you to I know, by the way, they're understaffed, underpaid, and overworked at county VSAs across the state, which is an issue. Yeah, no, absolutely. So if you guys are on Twitter right now, be sure to tag the American Legion in New York, whoever, let them know they should be listening. Um, lastly, before we turn it over to uh, audience questions, uh, what are some topics that you want to cover? So like a, do you guys do you want to do like a solid episode on MST or homelessness or... I don't know, we're entrepreneurship. Gonna, we're going to kick it off you. with uh, Chris Goldsmith, uh, Martin Luther King Day, nice. uh, about um, veterans being taken advantage of online. Yeah, that's a huge, and he's done so much good work, and we wanted to snag him up before um, you know, he went someplace else. But, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. That's, that's, that's yeah, good friend of mine. Definitely check him out if you don't know Chris Goldsmith. Uh, great Wall Street Journal article about that came out a few weeks ago. Uh, but yeah, that's super important and incredible guy as well. And I think we'll also cover some, some issues on reserve and guard. And a lot of veterans are also, both of us are both veterans, well, soon to be veteran. Uh, I'm both a veteran and a reservist. Yeah. So um, there are a lot of veterans who fall into both of these categories. And um, from a policy perspective, issues facing the reserve and guard um, don't get a lot of publicity. Um, they don't get as much coverage as issues facing veterans and active duty. So I think we're Really looking forward to that exciting stuff. Um, audience questions? We'll start up here back. Yeah, I'm very familiar with one of the issues that you presented. Um, I spent 20 years with the VA. Um, I'm uh, retired uh, in the VA as well as the guard and uh, state New York as well. Um, just want to know. How's the technology work to connect with your, your podcast? How's that work? Good question. So um, you can find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and what else? Uh, we're on Stitcher. Um, we'll, we're going to be on more. Um, and anything that, uh, any other apps, I don't even know that comb through those podcasting sources will have us as well. And you can, we have a website, um, and you can, Type into our contact form and, and, and reach, reach us there, or on Twitter, or on Facebook, which I don't maintain very well. Um, but those are those are places you can you can look for. So you can also just reach out to the two of us for free public facing. So thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks for your service. Dr. Wujo. Thanks. Hi, Andrea. This is a question. Just a song. This this is a question for you. My name is Joe Hanton. Of the director of the Veterans Mental Health Coalition. Our job is really to educate providers and you uh, about veterans' issues. And you raised the question about uh, female veterans being not recognized. I'm wondering what that, if we were to provide training, what that training might look like in order to get that level of awareness built up. I mean, I'm sure it's not just factual information. Um, so I don't have, I wouldn't have deep expertise in, in what that kind of training would look like, but I can certainly speak to a couple of um, issues generally um, or kind of bullet points generally that are helpful. Um, in general, um, a very good question to ask, and this is not just in healthcare. Syracuse actually did this on their, their application, uh, Syracuse University. Have you served in the U.S. military? 
is a very different question than are you a veteran? Because there are a lot of people who are veterans who do not consider themselves veterans, and so you're, you're going to capture a lot more people with that kind of question. And I, and I would say that, that is one of those first places you can, you can start. Um, Derek, you actually might know better about resources specifically on trainings for healthcare. I mean, healthcare in particular, there are fortunately quite a few that, that handle that. I think um, maybe what would be a not better, but a complementary um, component would just be uh, like a culture change. I think the idea that if you look at the Marine Corps in particular, a lot of people, um, you could institutionalize what's cool and what's not. You could make certain branches seem like they do something well and they don't. I think it's up to, first of all, the uh, the branches of the military, but also the veteran community, for us to be more welcoming, to make sure that we're asking the right questions, to make sure that we're creating an environment where women that serve want to be there, not just because we need them, but because we're listening to what their needs are and we're uh, being responsive to that. Um, that's unfortunately not like a training per se, but I think that's something, again, uh, the military can make whatever it wants cool or get you know people to do certain things, and you see that trickle down uh, in, into the veteran community, um, and that's really just on, on all of us to make that happen. At our, at our show in, in Cooperstown, sorry, I don't know in there, but uh, one of the men from the state DVA mentioned that part of, the, part of this is a narrative flip too, right, which is some people aren't accessing resources because they feel like they're taking it away from other people who might have deserve it more. Um, but the narrative we need to get to is these benefits are funded for everybody. So if you don't take advantage of all of your benefits, we might not get more later. You know, uh, They might be rounded down because uh, some people aren't accessing them. So access your full range of benefits because you earned it and the money is there for you. So trying to dispel that myth is, is uh, and a couple of thoughts on that. So as a, I, I use VA healthcare, and some of the aspects of it that keep me coming back are less specific, you know, this is how a provider is working, and much more of feeling like I belong and feeling like my experience is generally and broadly understood. Um, and um, just for example, the that I've never felt like my service has been stereotyped. I've never felt like... Um, my service matters less because I was an intelligence officer and not a fighter pilot. Um, and so those kinds of factors are certainly helpful in healthcare, but also um, in, in, in a wider context as well. Um, and, and, and it's also important for people to understand there's, there's a psycho psychology that we often have in the military that can serve us well in the field, which is someone else has it worse. But when we come home and when we're reintegrating and we really need access to resources, that can be a very, very negative thing. I mean, you can talk to somebody who has, like, no legs. but like, oh, but I've got both my eyes. I'm fine. So someone else has it worse. Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. I think also just kind of it seems obvious, but the better we as a society treat women, the better women veterans will be treated. And, again, I think that's not a training. Uh, if there is... Let's, let's find out how to make that happen. Uh, but that's just a whole other issue, and I think they kind of they go hand in hand. Hi, I'm Stephanie Keegan. I'm actually the mother of a veteran who passed away three years ago today. Um, and um, I became director of the veteran support space after his death. I'm on Sean Maloney's Veterans Advisory Board. And he introduced a bill last year, last session, called the Know Your Vets Act. 
And what it was supposed to do was add another box to the DD-214, right next to where I'm relocating box, that says, yes, you can release my information to the local VSOs. And in theory, there would be a group of VSOs that were electronically linked com for communication purposes with their local VAs, and those VSOs would get from the VA the same information that the VA is getting on the veteran in terms of this is where he's relocating to or she's relocating to, and you now have their name and contact information because they gave us permission to give it to you so that they can now um, get VSOs finding them instead of the VSO sitting there waiting for the veteran to come looking. So that's a, something to, to kind of tweet the congressman about and say, can we reintroduce this in the next session? Because I know I'm going to be a pain in his keister, but anybody else who wants to is more than welcome to. We talked about almost this exact issue last night, and I'd like to honestly see it be an opt-out instead of an opt-in, because... You, you know, it's much easier for us to reach everybody, and then the people who are like, I hate the government, or I don't want to get your emails or phone calls, can say, okay, now we'll put you on the do not call list, but we try, right, rather than relying on people to check the box, which is another, you know, mental task they have to do, or at least that's what they thought we did. They really didn't have this class. <laughs> um, and also, shout out to Stephanie, everyone should follow her on Twitter, follow her in general, she's amazing, love her chat. Hi, uh, John Robinson, former Marine, former uh, VA, among other things. Uh, this is kind of an inside baseball question, but um, what do you know about your listenership um, and more broadly about the demographics of veterans who do listen to podcasts? I'm thinking about you, know, you are very much a sort of news you can use, kind of a very practical application, kind of a media entity, but there's, I would imagine, and I don't know the data on this, but I would imagine there's a huge section of the veteran population that doesn't use podcasts and uh, probably won't uh, on a regular basis. So how do you extend your value to the, those who, uh, who would rather consume your information through other media? Yeah, yeah so uh, finding ways to do stuff like this where we actually show up and we're live, um, letting people know who we are and what we also do on the side is a, is a good way to do that. Um, Give or take anywhere from a couple hundred to a couple thousand people will listen to a given episode. We do them every two weeks, if you don't already know, uh, usually on Tuesdays, or um, if my child isn't sleeping at night the next day, so uh, there's that. Um, it isn't just, and we focus on, um, and this I guess gets into season two things potentially, but we, we focus mostly on anywhere because that's our plans, but uh, at least 50% of our listeners are generally, are probably our network, I'm assuming, outside of the uh, New York area, right? Uh, Tegan uh, Griffith. Yeah, she lives in Wisconsin. She lives in Wisconsin, but is, you know, and I won't speak for her, but uh, has a similar presence to us in that uh, is living in sort of rural or suburban Wisconsin. I can't really tell if she's super rural. National, yeah. Yeah, yeah. National Park Foundation, I think. And uh, there's a common theme among, so it's not necessarily, you know, we are talking about New York issues, but it's really rural uh, historically underrepresented veterans communities that we're also reaching, um, and there may be ways that we can talk about that uh, more nationally um, in 2019. So, uh, yeah, but, good. bringing up Tegan in particular, we did some advocacy work together on the Hill ages ago. She's 
Same thing. Follow her. She's great. Yeah. Um, but I love that when she sees what's happening to vets upstate, and she's like, hey, you know, in Wisconsin, this is very similar. And then lo and behold, like, here's what's working, here's not what's working. And even though you are kind of, I won't say like hyper, well, maybe, but like, you know, pretty focused on a specific region within a state, um, you start seeing how that transcribes. And I think that really speaks to the, the cohesive nature of these issues in the community as well. So that's definitely a good thing. So. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, and uh, thank you guys for your service to the community and what you're doing now. I spent 24 years in the New York Air National Guard, so uh, you know I'm very familiar with the culture. Uh, right now, I'm running the Dwyer Project in Suffolk County. So I, that's the question I have to you: Is have you partnered with your local community Dwyer projects? Do you know what that is? Um, if not, I can give you a list of the names of all the counties. 23 of them in the state of New York have Dwyer funding right now, and what we're seeing on Long Island is is very similar to what you're seeing up at, upstate. Um, and I do want to debate anything upstate from Long Island is anything where you have to cross a bridge. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> once you have to pay to get off the island, you're upstate. Not a bridge. Yeah. No. So, uh, but what we are seeing here on Long Island is very similar to what you're seeing up there because there's a very big misconception that we're all part of the city. And Long Island, from Nassau County out to me on the east end, you, you go urban, suburban, and then rural. So I'd also like to talk to you offline later about how we can partner on some of the initiatives because it looks like we could really do something together. Um, I, I personally just kind of got exposed to the Dwyer program because we just got to, it just launched in Columbia County. Um, I heard about what they were doing in Putnam County and Dutchess County, um, but we haven't. Um, it's, it's been kind of on our list of 2019 objectives. Um, we'd love to do more. I know certainly in Columbia County, one of the ways I want I wanted to get more involved with it is I kind of know who's, who the peers involved are and they don't look like me. Um, so um, one of the challenges is how do you get people to self-identify, to be volunteers. It's a peer-to-peer -peer program. Um, to be volunteers so that other veterans will, will um, want to use the program. Thank you, Robert Dwyer, uh, for sure. Um, we'll go to Kristen. Um, also, we'll do a little uh, round of shout-outs of organizations I think people should know about So after Kristen's question. So, uh, my name is Kristen Rouse, former uh, former North, North Country resident. Uh, I go to Climb the Board. And, um, uh, and also uh, fellow reservists. Could you talk a little bit about balancing your public persona speaking on political issues and also on current military policy with your membership in the military? Um, yes, it's been it's been challenging. because um, there what has actually been challenging is the point where my reserve unit has actually said they've been really supportive and want me to kind of merge the two. It's like, oh yes, well you wrote for US Naval Institute Proceedings and in the New York Times in your free time, but put that on your fitness report. Um, okay, but like some of it's kind of political. Um, I really try very hard to segment my my life and my time, and and, and most people, you know, most people might not necessarily notice. But if I'm on active duty or drilling, like I actually don't tweet, or I'll tweet a lot less, and for the like the characterization of what my social media presence will totally change. I try not. I'll try to work, if I'm publishing something, I'll try to work with editors that doesn't drop why I'm in the duty status. Um, and if it does, that it's something that is not incendiary. Um, but we can't. We have, you know, for 28 days out of the month, veterans. 
Um, and I try to follow the, the, the Navy and Department of Defense promulgate guidance. And I try to just be very up to speed on what that guidance is and know that I have those left and right lateral limits and try to stay within those. So there, there's certain things where it's like, okay, I cannot explicitly criticize the chain of command. Um, but there, if there are certain ways that I want to be critical of policy, then that to me is what, what's a green light. You're still on active duty, so what is the... Uh, you guys talk about some pretty spicy stuff. Yeah, we do get alarming stuff. teachers. Yes. And all, oh, yeah, it gets a little deep. Well, I mean, we try to... And this is difficult, right? This is really hard. To anchor it in a pretty bipartisan issue, right? Like, uh, trust in government is something that is not necessarily like, Democrats are good and Republicans are bad, right? Uh, fairness uh, across the board... Uh, people who have been overlooked by government, um, calling them out and, and ways to help them. Uh, it's a it's a tight rope, though, you know, and it's trying to be respectful and constructive, I think, is, is also important. Um, but I view uh, a lot of when we delve into that realm as uh, just sort of a vocal extension of an op-ed, and veterans can write letters to the editor and op-eds, that's totally fine with the rules and regulations so um, but it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a tightrope to walk and we're not always successful but we try to err on the side of being constructive and respectful so. and I would say something that's helped personally is that since I've been writing and speaking and had an increasingly public persona in my military life I, I've known that I had people who were going to back me up that's helped a lot yeah. um yeah, those spaces now that exist, like uh, Military Writers Guild is, mm -hmm. is a good one. Uh, there are some others uh, that are good that, you know, are going are gonna to back you up. So we're just at the end of things now. Uh, parting shots, any shout-outs, organizations, people doing well, how to follow you, Twitter handles, what do you guys got? Yeah, I think IBMF, we mentioned, is doing fantastic work. New building coming into Syracuse University uh, is going to be like Veterans Downtown. Um, um, Clear Path for Veterans, I always give them a shout out. Uh, I need to stop by Chittenango uh, and actually go there and, and thank everyone in person. So thank you all for what you do, if some of you are, are listening and watching. Um, Kate Germano and Joe Plensler generally get a shout out from us almost every show because they are some of the biggest advocates in this space, um, and not for themselves, but for literally anyone else. Uh, so uh, it's, they're good. Pam Campos Palma, who is just simply amazing. Um, Alex McCoy, uh, who's here in the city as well. Um, you know, there are so many good people, and, and part of you know Twitter gets a bad rap. I feel like these days, because yeah. you know it's terrible. It's wonderful. <laughs> I met you guys on Twitter. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. but right. exactly. That's there, there, is, there is a lot of opportunity to find like-minded people who you know you find their jokes funny, or you can always tolerate them for you know, an hour every two weeks. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so follow us on Twitter. I am a n underscore goldstein, and then our Twitter handle for the show is two bets upstate. Roger, what's your Twitter handle? Yes, yeah, my name. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining. Really love this conversation. Thanks for having me.
up inside fridges. 